You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. It seems like the weather's just holding out. Um, Might be a different story later, but we do have some free coffee, so hopefully that's an incentive to, um, yeah, incentive against the weather, I guess. Um, So my name is Emily Adamson, and I'm the team leader of the Circular Economy Business Innovation Centre, or the CBIC, which is C-E-B-I-C for short. Um, I'd like to begin with an acknowledgement of country. I acknowledge the Wurundjeri and the Boonwurrung clans of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the lands on which we gather today to connect and learn. And I pay my respects to the elders, past, present and emerging, and any who may be joining us today. We gather here to talk about the circular economy, a framework for an economy that is restorative and regenerative by design, one where both people and planet can thrive. But the circular economy, however, is by no means something new. For over 60,000 years, our First Nations peoples have been pioneers in the circular economy. Through their deep connection to Earth and their knowledge and understanding of the roles humans can play within the intricate systems that exist within it. To not only care for, but regenerate it. I'd like to formally welcome you all to today's event um, at M Pavilion which is brought to you by the State Government's Circular Economy Business Innovation Centre. For those of you who don't know, this is a program that supports businesses to act and innovate in the circular economy through encouraging collaboration, building capabilities and de-risking innovation. I'd also like to quickly plug that we currently have some funding available um, for circular business projects, which you can check out on our website at cbic.vic.gov.au. And those applications are closing April 12, so it's probably time to get on your application if you haven't already had a look at it. Um, As a program, we focus on circular design, and that's because um, 80% of our product's environmental impacts are determined at this stage. Design is not just what it looks like, but it's how it works and functions by itself and within a system. It is a tool that can transform our economy from a linear one that degenerates both natural and man-made capital to a regenerative one, which I keep stumbling on that word. (laughs) Um, To a regenerative one that, where businesses are not only reducing their impacts like waste, but actively pursuing opportunities that regenerate and improve our society and our environment. Today we're hearing for expert um, leaders in the regenerative circular design space. Um, And I'd like to now formally introduce you to our host for the rest of the session, Nicole Barling-Luke from Regen Melbourne, which is an organisation powered by an alliance of 150 organisations working towards a thriving city within planetary boundaries. I look forward to learning and connecting with you all throughout this morning. Um, and I hope this event is one that, you, that provides you with inspiration for how your organisation can embrace regenerative circular design. Thank you and over to you, Nicole. Thanks, Emily. Um, 
Thanks all for coming. I think because we're a relatively small group, we're just going to do a little bit of like reshuffling of the space so we can get nice and cozy because if it does start raining some of you on the edges might get a little wet so um i think if we can kind of make like a semi-circle this way we're gonna not use the stage and sit down here so we can all be on a platform so yeah if you just want to move and make a bit of a semi-circle alan i'm sorry you might have to shuffle uh there we go you guys are probably fine yes Nice and cozy. Great. Okay. How's that feel? Pretty good circle? Nice. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Oblongish. <laughs> Lovely. Um, thank you. So, as Emily said, my name is Nicole. I have the joyous uh, job of just being a host, which means I get to hand all the hard questions over to our speakers and make sure you're all feeling okay. It's a great job. Um, I think because it is a Monday morning uh, and it is a slightly cool Melbourne morning, um, it's just amazing that you're all here. And I would like to, this is the only awkward icebreaker I'm going to make you to do. It's going to be about three seconds, I promise. I just would like you to make eye contact with someone across the circle and say, thanks for being here. I think it just deserves an extra thank you this morning. Um, if you haven't realised, there is some food and coffee over there. I'm seeing most people have got that spark in their eye of caffeine, so well done. Um, the other only thing is, so we've got obviously mics here, but we've got the beautiful backdrop of Melbourne with trams and a beautiful busy road. And just behind that, which we can't hear, is the Birrung River. It would be nice if we could hear that, but we've got a lot of cars. So as our speakers get animated and excited, if for every reason we start going like this, and you can't hear us, just like do a bit of this. All our speakers are going to be watching out. If forever, for whatever, for whatever reason you can't hear us, just do this, and we'll make sure we put our mic back right there. Cool? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, so... I'm not going to talk much about Regen Melbourne because we're really here to hear from Ollie, Sam and Fiona. Um, but just quickly to say that we are an organisation, uh, an alliance of over, I think, 180 organisations now really paying attention to how does this city, like, uh, support the transition that's already happening, but how do we make sure it's happening for the next economy with regenerative principles in mind? And so for the past two years, we've really been looking at Melbourne this beautiful place, Greater Melbourne, thinking and paying attention to how we can uh, come in, pull up a seat, <laughs> um, how we can live within our planetary boundaries. So how do we stop putting pressure on the planet and how do we make sure that we have all the social foundations that we as a society need to thrive? And over the past two years, learning more and more about this place that I grew up in, Melbourne has uh, a very high material consumption we quite like things. There's a lot of stuff that we consume. And that's obviously why it's really important we're talking about the circular economy, materials, how that actually comes through our flows. The other thing that I'm sure many of you are far more uh, aware of, that this city is a design city, right? There is some beautiful design that has happened 
for years before any of this uh, skyscrapers was here, you can go stand by the river. You can just like see some design happening right in these ecologies. But also as a society, we've always been passionate about the innovation, the design and how we're actually like pulling together our resources. So those two things have both been very high in our material consumption, but also high in our creativity and innovation is I think what the broad theme of what we're going to explore today. So, as I said, it's not about me, it's about our wonderful speakers. Um, the way today is going to work is we're going to hear about 10, 15 minutes from some different intersections of this question around the circular economy. And then we're going to break for about 45 minutes to an hour, depending how the time goes, and go deeper onto these three speakers. You'll get to you know, follow whoever you're most interested in. And then we're going to have a bit of a play with like materials, get a bit out of our head and like actually how do we explore these questions with our hands and with each other. Cool. If you get cold, if you need to stand up and stretch, please do. We've got all this space to play with. Just be comfortable. It's a Monday morning. It's a beautiful way to start the week. So I think, Ollie, you're up first. Want to come on down? Uh, this is your stage, but please don't stand in front of the speaker. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm the kind of sustainability speaker who comes with a takeaway coffee cup with this terrible look. <laughs> So I'll drop that here for a second. And um, before I go into my spiel about like uh, what I'm going to talk about, I'm just going to introduce myself. So my name is Olivier. Uh, if you picked up on an accent, I'm from France. I've been living in Australia for about 19 years now across like uh, South Australia, uh, Victoria, and New South Wales. But during that time, I also lived in Japan, in the Middle East, and then in the US. And um, my academic career and my practice is actually as equally diverse as uh, the kind of places uh, uh, I lived in. So I started my career like back in the, in the 90s in architecture and uh, quickly realized that I never wanted to practice as an architect because it's uh, very highly unsustainable. And um, back then there was the, no degrees in, uh, in uh, what's called now biodesigns and biophilic design. And I actually did like a, a master of biotech and a, and a PhD of functional genomics in order to understand how we could actually create new materials uh, that would be uh, more sustainable and that would help us to, uh, to not pollute as much as we do right now. Um, for a few years after that, I kind of like got sway into the science world and like started to design uh, plants, uh, new plants for the world of tomorrow uh, that would be more tolerant to climate change. So like uh, what kind of food are we going to eat um, in 2030, 2050? I was kind of designing the, the cereals that were going to uh, tolerate the rising water levels and, uh, and high temperature. It was fascinating, but I was missing design. And so like uh, at the start of last decade, uh, I went back to design. But in order to do that, like in a, a very complex way that like, I like to, I actually did an MBA. And so like uh, now I'm the kind of designer that work across um, desirability, uh, feasibility, and viability, because I think we cannot dissociate any of that if we want to make a difference. So for the last four years, I've been, uh, I've been working at RMIT University in the School of Design. And uh, there I'm a senior lecturer and I really specialize in, a, in a sustainable design um, as a general term, but actually don't like to call uh, this practice sustainable design. The reason why is like uh, the term sustainability itself is problematic. Uh, it's been defined in the late 80s by the United Nations. And it basically means that um, the definition that we have of sustainability right now is, uh, is like sustaining the way we consume in order to safeguard the way we're going to live in the future. So basically, it doesn't question the way we live at all. It just, it just like uh, uh, 
tries to um, uh, safeguard the resources that we have so we can maintain the way of living. So there's new worlds that are appearing right now which are like fantastic and they're embedded into practice as well, which is like circular economy, uh, circular design, regenerative design, and uh, in academia we also talk about more than human. And so uh, quickly I'm going to define this before talking about example about how I use this kind of design in my own practice. So everybody's familiar with a circular design? few people. I'll just explain it. I'm, I'm sure you do. <laughs> uh, I'll just explain it quickly. So like uh, we currently live in, a, in an economy where uh, everything that we, we make and we do is part of like a, a linear and destructive paradigm. We uh, extract resources, we make things, we use things and we throw them away with uh, no, no, no idea about what's coming up at the end. We're basically designing for the use phase and, and that's pretty problematic. Case in point, my, my takeaway cup, which I have no idea what's going to end up after. Well, most likely in a landfill. So the idea is like how we can circularize this like uh, model of uh, of productions and consumptions so that we are like uh, more sustainable in the in the in the way we uh, we live and design and consume. So uh, circular design by itself is not going to save the world. There's because uh, like the, the idea is like uh, you can circularize everything, but it doesn't mean that at the start is the good thing to do. Because you could also like circularize the oil-based economy, for example. And uh, there's, there's a lot of people at the moment that are trying to like recycle plastic, which is fantastic, but it's also promoting still the use of oil at, at the end. Uh, so what's next? We also want to be regenerative. So regenerative is like when we like regenerate the resources we actually use in design. So like uh, it started from like agriculture, but now we can embed these principles in design as well. So like, Practices of design going forward would be, it would be amazing if they were both circular and regenerative. But there's also the next step, which is more than human, is like uh, we also need to consider the, the impact that we have on our ecologies around us. And Nicole started to talk about this earlier in our introduction. Uh, so like more than, human, more than human design is the idea that uh, uh, the era of human centricity has created a lot of issues. And then we need to think beyond the human perspective to take into account uh, 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 the perspectives and needs of uh, non-human species. Um, so, for example, these cups uh, is like a cardboard and with a lining of plastic and, a, and potentially like a, a biodegradable uh, lead. And uh, this is done mainly from a point of view. This has been designed mainly from the point of view of a, a human perspective. But if we were to take into account the needs and perspective of non-human species. All of these materials will be regenerative, and we will take care of the, the like when we dispose of this cup, we will take care of how, how it is transformed into, uh, into things that we can either make things off or that would be um, would leave no trace in the environment if they were to end up in landfills. So all of this is a bit complex, and as soon as we talk, start to talk about this conversation, everything becomes a bit abstract. And I think the best way to materialize, materialize this conversation is actually through uh, uh, case studies. So I actually brought something here. And I want to show you what I mean. So at the moment I'm working with a, a hospital in the, peninsula, in, a, in the peninsula called Peninsula Health. And they approached me a few years ago um, to start thinking about the mental well-being of their staff. Um, that was obviously on the back of the, of the COVID crisis where um, hospital staff were like highly impacted. Um, they were already impacted before, but obviously the, the COVID-19 crisis was a, a catalyst that accentuated a lot of uh, issues in hospital settings. 
And so I started to conduct a bit of research for like almost a year, year and a half to try to identify how can design make a difference in the way hospital workers uh, experience the hospital. And uh, what we identified straight away, and that was confirmed by like a, a bunch of stakeholders in government as well, notably WorkSafe Victoria, is that the environment in which we, uh, we live and work have a massive influence in, uh, in our mental well-being. And um, when we started to do more research in the specific context of the hospital, we found out that the, the scrubs uh, that the hospital workers were wearing and like the, the spaces they, they occupy had a massive influence on the, the way they behaved in, a, in hospital and with patients and with, with each other. Um, so like there's one project that I do where I try to design like circular and regenerative and more than human scrubs. Uh, which are like a, a tailored made specifically to the specific body of a healthcare worker. So remember that uh, scrubs are really cheap, they're made of plastic, um, and they're basically just like a, um, a model size enlarged to fit the size of whoever is wearing them, and uh, healthcare workers feel very uncomfortable with them. So the idea is like at the moment we're 3D scanning the body of uh, healthcare workers, we, uh, we, we 3D knit. Uh, scrubs specifically for them and, uh, and then the first uh, uh, ex um, prototyping that we did confirmed that the, the healthcare workers feel like a, a lot more comfortable in their clothes when they talk to patients, uh, they feel a lot happier when they, they, they go to work and on top of that they don't have this eco-anxiety knowing that this scrubs is going to end up in a landfill. Um, so that's like a, a project that I'm gonna, not going to show you. But what we found out as well is like they don't have the space to relax, nothing. Like they're always like mixed with uh, patients and suppliers and, uh, and other doctors. And so we're just designing like little spaces where then they can take a break. And uh, this is a prototype of a stool, which is actually made out of cornstarch. So this plastic is called PLA and uh, it uh, doesn't not use oil. And if you were to like put that in an industrial compost, it would actually degrade, leaving no trace in the environment. Um, this is not ideal still. Uh, we can do better than that. So like uh, this, if you were to leave that into a landfill, would actually uh, uh, not decompose at all. Uh, it does not degrade naturally. It needs to be an industrial composting facility with like specific temperature and bacteria and all of that. But it's a great prototype to start with. The goal is like we're gonna, uh, at the moment, this is called a functional prototype. We're designing this, am I doing okay with time or? Yeah. Um, we're designing this to, to see if we can, uh, if it's useful, it's called a functional prototype. But the idea is like we're gonna change the material at the end so that uh, this tool is made out of a, a bioplastic, which is both bio-based and biodegradable, which would actually leave no trace if it, uh, in the environment if you were to end up in landfill. But it's not the, uh, the only thing, like, uh, uh, it's not just about working with material uh, that we can do in design when we work in the circular, regenerative and more than human design spaces. It's also about like, the amount of resources we use to make things. Obviously, like, uh, the form of an object has an impact on the amount of resources uh, that, that, that is being used to make it. So like, uh, this has been made using 3D printing, which is a great technology because um, it allows you to be very creative with form. The problem with the technology, it forces you to use more material sometimes because you need support in the design. And so like, there's now big machines that allows me to design this tool in one piece, but if I do that, I use more material. So like, the design process was like we decided to uh, divide this into two. 
so that we use less material and we don't need support in the 3D machine. So like it's not about just the, the amount, it's not just about the material we use, but it's also like the way it is designed and the fabrication processes that are important uh, in, in circular regenerative and modern human design. Now, if we were to just like do a stool, which is like biodegradable, you, you'd be like, what does it matter to the staff? And uh, what we found out through research as well is that uh, the sounds of the hospital is very distracting. And like there's basically no places for the brain to rest. So the idea is like it is hollow because we're putting like a recycled newspaper, cellulosic fiber in there. And so the furnitures will actually absorb sound in the hospital. So this is made out of a cornstarch. Later on, it will be made hopefully out of, as a plastic made of organic waste. We put cellulosic fiber inside, currently made out of recycled newspaper. But the, later on, we would actually like to use um, cellulosic fiber made of food waste again. And then in order to protect it, we're going to design like a little sock made out of a, a textile, bacterial cellulose, in order to make it look good. So there's a lot we can do. Uh, my conclusion on this topic is that we currently have all the skill, resources, talent, capital to do things differently. But we're pressured by the system in which we live in to not question the way we design things. And uh, if there's one takeaway that I would like you to, 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 to have this morning is that we could do things differently right now. We don't need all like the, the fancy green tech will cost a lot of money. Of course we need that as well, but there's plenty of things we could do right now in design in order to change uh, our environmental impact in the world. Um, so I'm supposed to leave you with a question? Yes. So like you'll see like all of the three speakers uh, will leave you with a question and I think there's going to be a bit of a workshop out there. My question to you is like, we look at the, we're in the M Pavilion, which is an amazingly designed space. It's beautiful, it's stunning. It's like actually serve a really nice purpose. What if this place was designed accordingly to circular, regenerative and more than human design principle? What would it look like? What would it feel like? What would it be made of? So that's my question to you guys. And I'm going to hand over to Sam. Oh, it's always so much fun listening to Ollie speak. Has so many fun projects going on. Um, hey guys, my name's Sam. Um, one of the co-founders at CoLabs Melbourne. So CoLabs Melbourne is a, gosh, it always changes when I try and describe it. It's a transdisciplinary innovation hub and biotech co-working lab that's helping catalyze the transition to a circular, bio-based and regenerative economy. So what does that mean? In purpose. In purpose, we do our best to apply living systems thinking and a complexity informed approach to supporting systems change. And that can happen at the product level, the process level, or let's say like an organizational ecology level. So, when we look at the way in which we innovate and create things, it's actually not necessarily that sustainable, kind of like what Ollie called out. And especially in science and innovation, like a lot of companies will raise money, they'll build a lab, they use this infrastructure, and then for a lot of time it just sits there and never gets used. Um, so I guess our whole business model was maximizing the utilization of assets. So we took what's called, so there's you know five key circular economic business models that um, people kind of refer to. 
So we took the product service system model approach, which is taking all of this infrastructure and providing it as a service. So we provide a lab as a service to startups and entrepreneurs who are doing their best to find new and novel ways to make things or new and novel ways of socially organizing. So hence the transdisciplinarity because as you would probably all know, all of the problems that we currently face, um, they can't really be understood in isolation. Quite a lot of them are systemic and interwoven. So a lot of our social problems are also impacted by um, environmental issues and then that can weave into our politics and our healthcare and it's all, it's all quite messy. Um, but I think the reason why it's important to have that transdisciplinary and living systems mindset is that we really need to radically redesign the human presence on Earth, as Ollie referred to as well. And to do that, we kind of have to understand the, I guess, the basic principles of ecology. So we need to become eco-literate. We also need to be socially literate. And we also need to understand, as I said, a systems-informed, complexity-based approach. So eco-literacy, when we, when we look at it, Ollie kind of touched on one of the key points, which is in nature, one organism's waste is another organism's food. So things are constantly cycling through the ecosystem and the environment. And that's something that we need to pay attention to when we design products and services. So we need to be making sure that when a product reaches its end of life, that it's actually actively regenerating the soil or provides more value. You look at, like look in nature, I'll use an example, right? So an apple will fall off a tree, falls onto the ground, provides nutrients for a whole bunch of different animals, and then a, and a new tree grows, right? We can kind of have that approach as Ollie was calling out with exploring new ways to use bio-based materials. Um, so we can actually have something like that where when you put it in landfill, it can regenerate the soil. Awesome, that's great. Um, another key thing is, you know, nature runs on sunlight. That's the primary energy source, but current sunlight, not, you know, 100,000 or 100 million years of fossilized sunlight, which we're using incredibly fast rate. So we need to be changing our ways in which we're making things and, and doing all of that. So it can be a bit abstract. So like Ollie, I'll use a couple of examples of what we're supporting in the lab. So I didn't bring anything with me. I wish I did. Um, yeah, but I'm gonna have to, you're just going to have to watch me try and visualize this. Um, so a couple of examples of projects that we're working on at the moment um, is actually from one of Ollie's students. Um, they've come in and they're looking at creating um, single-use um, scrubs and face masks using kumbungai or bulrush, which is uh, a plant that you kind of find around in the rivers everywhere. And it actually... Yeah, it's really good at being able to be turned into a non-woven fibre. There's quite a lot of papers out there. So we're helping them at the lab with sort of creating that and making that happen. Um, we also have, uh, we're helping create Australia's first kelp farm, golden kelp farm. There are other kelp farms. So we have a group that we, they've come in and we've essentially, I call it a kelp IVF clinic. Um, but essentially what we're doing is building and cultivating a whole bunch of kelp in these fridges. We keep them in a very specific phase called, we want them to be gametophytes and then after a while we put them in a different fridge which we've built and then that turns it into, like that causes them to then to proliferate and then we seed it onto a rope and go and put it out in the ocean. Um, so the reason why that's kind of cool is that kelp actually draws down a hell of a lot more carbon from the ocean than terrestrial forests. And it's also a really, really good source to be able to make things like 
bio-based yarn. So Algae Knit is a company that are doing that. And also just other products like cosmetics. So it's a really interesting, and agar, which we use a lot in the lab. So that's kind of cool. Um, we're also helping, have you, has anyone heard about the feeding the cows seaweed, asparagopsis, so they stop farting? Yeah, we've got one of them in the lab as well, which is pretty cool. Not a cow farting, but the people, people making it. Um, uh, another project that's really fun, oh, I didn't mention as well, um, we, yeah, our whole company's based on regenerative business principles, so um, we're a social enterprise that tries to give more than it takes, so that's one of the key sort of principles of a regenerative organisation. So in addition to providing lab space to startups um, who are, so we only help out people who are impact oriented, so whether that's, you know, bringing us within planetary boundaries or raising social foundations, but a big part of our business model is actually providing space and supporting people who wouldn't have access to it otherwise. So we're helping the Yarra River Keeper, which is also one of the uh, Region Melbourne members. So we're a Region Melbourne member as well. Um, and we're helping them with creating a biomimetic water filtration device to remove microplastics from the rivers. So it's copying, it's the manta ray. Has everyone seen the manta ray's mouth? So what's really cool about that is um, the gills that it has causes a thing called ricochet technology, like it's, we call it ricochet technology, but it's a ricochet effect which creates little whirlpools, which means that the, the, for the manta ray, that brings its food up into its mouth while letting the water go out. So we're looking at applying the same sort of thing to microplastics, to be able to draw microplastics in and capture it while letting the water out, because a key issue with microplastics is they're microplastics. So you know, they just flow with the water. And if the, if the device filtering out the water fills up, they just go around. They don't actually go through. Um, so yeah, and then, yeah, we also have a circular STEM charity. So like another one of the business models is, you know, keeping things in use as much as possible. So we have a program called the Phoenix School Program, which takes old science equipment from landfill that, you know, a lot of labs and stuff, they always want the latest and greatest but it turns out things can kind of work for like 50 years in science because back in the day they actually built it to last. So we take a lot of that and then provide it to schools who wouldn't be able to afford it so that they can then be able to, you know, actually do science in school rather than just light things on fire with Bunsen burners. Um, so yeah, we have that and then also a community science lab that allows people to come in and engage with science and then through that we've helped with projects like um, essentially stopping logging happening in lowland lead beta habitat through using environmental DNA techniques. So there are all these different ways, what I'm, I guess, trying to show is there's so many different ways in which you can support and participate with creating this new regenerative economy. It doesn't just have to be a business. It can be a community charity. It can be a non-profit. But there's also nothing wrong with necessarily using a business as a tool for good. And it's just... it's. It's possible. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to stand here and say as well is that you can do well by doing good. And I think that's kind of what we all have to aspire to when we're trying to create the new organizations of the future. So to use like a word that Janine Benyus uses, who's the, I guess, one of the co-founders of Biomimicry, it's like life creates conditions conducive to life. And this is something that we kind of always try and hold in the forefront of our mind. Um, in addition to some of the other things that we've got happening in the lab, we have, how am I going for time? Cool. Five minutes? Sweet. Um, we have a couple of people who are working on things like cultivated meat, so looking at growing meat without the cow, essentially not harming any living animal during the process of making food, which is massive when you look at how much um, methane it gets emitted and everything in agriculture. 
So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I guess to loop it back and, and bring it all together, I'm a very non-linear thinker, so I apologize in advance. Um, or not in advance. Um, so we have to think, and this is sort of leans into the question that I'll be asking towards the end. Um, we have to acknowledge that money and financial capital, um, we kind of made this up. This doesn't really exist in the real world. Like humans are great at symbolic reasoning and thinking and coming up with ideas and then sharing that between one another to actually get things done. And it's kind of realizing that money, money's not real. It's something that we've made up as a proxy and we can actually redesign that whole system if we choose to. But it's not going to happen overnight. So what's a really useful heuristic to do is not that I want to promote the financialization of everything when I use the word capital here. So just bear that in mind. But there are, there are other forms of capital, right? There's social capital. So, you know, that can be everyone here coming together into a group and having like shared values and beliefs. And, you know, that's really nice. Then there's spiritual capital. So acknowledging the interconnectedness of everything and everyone and how we're all woven together, right? Then we've got ecological capital or natural capital. So that might be all your natural resources. Um, we've also got material capital. Um, I think there's another two or three others that I can't quite rattle off at the top of my head. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is that we need to radically re-envision and look at the way in which we are creating value and that value is not just a monetary thing you know there are all these other forms of what we can value and so taking that and keeping that in mind so I think I'll wrap it up here so my question for you is how do we reconsider what we value and then how do we apply that and put that into our business models so how can we do business based on biology how can we do economics based on ecology you know, and, and sitting and thinking about that and thinking how we can try and apply those, I guess, circular business models or strategies to create an interlinked system of organizations that are all trying to do good and supporting one another because that's the only way that we're actually going to be able to catalyze this change and bring about systems innovation is through supporting other people trying to also do well and coming together and organizing and building that trust and relationship between each other. Um, so that's that's me done. I'll I'll stop here. Um, yeah, cheers. Thank you, Sam. Um, so we've got one more speaker, Fiona from Street. Um, how are we all doing? Does anyone need to get up and like stay warm? Yep, do a jiggle. That's good. All right, get the body flowing. After Fiona, we will get up and move around. But yeah, as I said, make sure you keep. Keep your body moving as you need this morning. Do you need a hand with anything? Oh, amazing. We've got some more props. I'll, I'll, I'll prop it up. I'll give you the mic. There you go. Thanks so much, Nicole. Oh, okay. I'll do this. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I think I got it can go back. Yeah. Um, so, hi, everyone. It's great to be here, and thanks so much for coming out when the weather is so um, Melbourne-ish, 
I guess. <laughs> it's the only way I could describe it. Um, so as Nicole mentioned, I work at Street. Um, I work in the eco-innovation area at Street. Um, and I've been involved um, as a volunteer as well as an employee um, from since way back in, um, it was about five or six years ago when we actually created a planet plan. And um, we're progressively rolling out different interventions to try and go as deep a shade of green as we can possibly go uh, at Street. I also work for Make Studios, a, a, an innovation and design organisation, and we partner, well, when I say we, because I've got two hats on, both organisations partner with each other. So it's actually really nice. And um, as um, as you heard just before, we were talking about the interdependency of organisations um, and working together. Well, actually, the work that Street does is very much that way. We rely on working with other organisations that are for purpose. Um, for those of you who might not know or be familiar with Street, um, Street is a food system social enterprise that works with young people aged 16 to 24 who have experienced multiple barriers to employment. Um, and Street provides support and training in hospitality and horticulture. And to do this, we have eight cafes around town, so you might um, see some in the city or our flagship organisation in um, Collingwood. Um, we have a roastery, we have a bakery and we have a catering arm. And actually, we um, Street has provided catering today, so you can get a chance to sample our wares. Oh. Wasn't expecting that, but thank you. <laughs> Very nice. Um, we also we also offer um, our young people um, training in hospitality, but also horticulture. So we actually can train them in urban farming at our um, garden in Collingwood, but also with some of our partners um, like um, Collingwood Children's Farm and Melbourne Farmers Markets in the past. Um, three strands of Streets business has always been about people, planet and performance, those things go, they exist hand in hand. Um, we exist to provide long-term support for young people, but to be able to provide support for young people, we have to have a healthy planet. So we don't see them as separate, we see them as the same thing or, or intertwined. Um, and we're also very um, proud to be a partner in Moving Feast. So I don't know if anybody here has heard of Moving Feast. I mean, there might be a couple of people I know. <laughs> yes. Um, but basically, we are a network. Moving Feast is a network of social innovators who have collectively worked on more than 30 projects working towards creating a connected, fair and regenerative food system. These projects are all challenge-led um, and range from pandemic food relief at the very beginning of the pandemic was when Moving Feast started. Um, but then we moved on to go from relief to recovery to rejuvenation. And um, another example of a project is reimagining food futures that resulted in the Queen Victoria Market Purpose Precinct. So if you ever get a chance to go down to the Queen Victoria Markets at Stringbean Alley, you'll see, um, you'll see the Purpose Precinct there and it's actually a conglomeration of a range of social enterprises and for-purpose organisations selling their retail products there. So that's actually been another example of, you know, working together. Um, but a really important part of all of this is that um, a lot of those um, projects that we've been working on as part of Moving Feast have been circular in nature. And... Um, and so we've heard Sam and Ollie already talk about what circular means. And um, also I, I noticed that a lot of people um, nodded that, you know, you're all, seems like a lot of people here are quite familiar with circularity, which is, which is awesome. Um, but what I wanted to share is just something a little bit different. And that's actually when we're, we as a social enterprise are thinking about circular, 
you know, we're thinking about thriving people and planet, but it's actually a bit more complicated because our business models need to support not only making sure that we break even and that we do good for the planet, but that we're also raising revenue that will support putting young people through their programs. And at Street, as an example, it takes it costs about $18,000 to put each young person through a training course. So, yeah, that's a lot of extra money and it's a lot of extra on top of just running a business. So, whenever we're thinking about circular, we actually have to think about how can we be really smart about circular? It's not just about saying, okay, we're composting things or, you know, we're, we're doing something good. We've also got to think about how might we amplify, um, you know, the, the value that we're doing. So, um, I've got a little bit of an example here of what I mean by that. And sorry, this is a little bit small, but please feel free to come up and have a look a little bit later. But a project I'm about to talk about in a minute or two is called Open Source. And we started to look at different materials across our partners and ourselves. Um, and one material was um, nettles. And you could see that from this example here, that actually a good thing to do with nettles would be to compost them. So that's, that's a great baseline thing. But actually, you could actually go up another step and use them as um, you could make tea, nettle tea for your garden. And so that's going up to the next level. Or you could, we actually saw at some of our um, partner sites, they were using nettles for different things. And at one partner, they were using them to make nettle soup and they were making revenue from that. Um, and finally, you know, another example where you could amplify the value that you're extracting from these wonderful materials um, is you could create a pasta that has nettles in them and sell it at a higher margin. So, you know, profit isn't a dirty word. It's actually something that helps enable um, us to be able to do the most good that we possibly can. So that's a really important thing um, for us to be considering. And um, I guess... I wanted to just talk for a moment about why, you know, we've started with the food system as part of Moving Feast. Um, and it seems like from everybody's nodding before about circularity, I might be telling you things that you already know. So I do apologise for that. But just to make sure we're all on the same page, um, you know, when we think about the food system, um, when we think about it from the people perspective, um, people are facing food insecurity more than ever. And that's pr pretty apparent at the moment with the current levels of inflation that we have and also during the pandemic. And um, as myself and my colleague Laura over there would know, um, <laughs> uh, we, had a, we ran a project at Victoria University and we actually found that about 19% of students at Victoria Uni were facing food insecurity. So one of the projects we worked on at Moving Feast was actually to help create an urban garden and help people to learn how to grow and propagate. Um, so... That's really important, you know, the, from a food system, from a people perspective. Um, the other thing is that hospitality and horticulture are great vehicles um, for employment training. And food is at the heart of connecting people together. It actually, you know, it's something that brings people together. We were talk, talk, Sam was talking before about, you know, social capital, etc. And yeah, food is a great way to get that social capital happening. On the planet side of things, and this is where I'm imagining most of you probably already know these figures, but if food waste were a country, it'd be number three in terms of the emissions um, that we have from food waste. And um, that's after the US and China, which is pretty devastating when you think about it. It amounts to a trillion US dollars a year that goes into um, food that never gets eaten, which just seems astounding. And, you know, just to sort of put that in context as well, a third of food that's produced doesn't get eaten 
and ends up in landfill where it's way worse than, you know, anywhere else. It creates methane when it goes into landfill. So, and it's not just about those emissions, it's about all the energy and resources that go into it, whether it be, you know, electricity, um, fossil fuels for transportation, all of those things. So, we see that the food system is a great place to be able to actually make a big difference to the planet. So, you know, it's, it's rich with opportunity, even though it's a very, um, it might sound very unpalatable in a lot of ways, but it actually offers a lot of opportunity. Um, I just wanted to shine a spotlight on the project I mentioned before called Open Source, because it's a great example of um, a way that we got to work in the circular space. Um, and it was supported by Sustainability Victoria, which was also awesome. Um, so this is a flagship project for Moving Feast. Um, in fact, it was our first big one that we worked on that was actually going beyond relief. Um, so we're super excited about that. Um, and my colleague over here, Fiona Smith, was also involved heavily and Laura was heavily involved in that project too. So just a bit of a shout out to them. Um, so Open Source was a two-year project and it's, it's just about to um, come to its the end of its first stage um, in June this year. So that's pretty exciting to be at that stage. And um, it involved a range of Moving Feast partners, including cultivating communities, make studios, uh, Melbourne farmers markets and corner store network. Um, and we actually worked on embodying the principles of positive futures, thinking both about how we might be able to reframe waste that we found in our waste streams, um, food waste and non-food waste in our waste streams. How might we re reframe the waste as a resource but also how might we identify elements of that waste stream that we could eliminate because there was no easy way. So I think um, we were talking earlier, I thought it was interesting talking about the coffee cup, exact, exactly right. There are some things that it doesn't really matter how you try and actually recycle, reuse. It would be just better for everybody if we, you know, were able to actually work out an alternative that is more circular. But it's not easy. Um, so, what we did in our open source project is we first of all did a, um, a waste audit and we actually got somebody from Cultivating Community who went out to the various partners and looked in their waste streams and, you know, got, got in with his gloves on and weighed and measured and looked at things from food waste um, and organic, other organic waste metals, plastics, landfill, all of those sorts of things. So we'd have a bit of an understanding of what was in our waste streams. And um, the good news is that um, social enterprises and for-purpose organisations are pretty thrifty because we need to be. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, we've got to be, you know, using as much money as we can to go towards, you know, doing the, the good that we want to do. Um, so we were pretty thrifty, but still um, there were a lot of areas that we looked at that we could improve on. Um, so then the next thing that we did is we looked at the supply chain. So we had a look at um, what, who has what. And what I mean by that is, you know, are there refrigerators that we could be using? Are there delivery vans that we could be using? Who has access to farmers and producers and so forth so that we could actually understand when there might be a surplus? So we did that. We also came up with 100 circular ideas. Um, some of them uh, based on what we found in the waste streams. Some of them were things that we've actually sort of looked at and implemented. And I've got a few examples over here of things like Hessian bags. And um, we also looked at, you know, um, our worm we had worm farms, so we looked at how might we actually start selling those sorts of things as well. Um, 
And we also had ideas there that we have no intention of actually realising, but as the name open source um, implies, we wanted to share that with the world because there might be other organisations or people that want to start a startup that might actually be able to use um, our ideas as a starting point, as, as inspiration. Um, we also ran events um, and engagements. So we ran a Melbourne Knowledge Week event where we invited people to come and try and make things from the non-food elements of our waste stream, which was a lot of fun. Um, and we ran Glutwatch events. We had, um, and Fiona ran some Glutwatch events where we looked at um, how might we help people feel confident if they actually experience um, a surplus of um, produce, whether it be fruit or vegetables, et cetera, and also to understand a bit more about how food systems work and, you know, to understand that actually maybe, you know, it would be actually quite desirable to be actually using items that are actually in surplus over things like, you know, for example, um, we had a, a pineapple carving event, um, the idea being that at Halloween um, there was a surplus of pineapples, um, but, you know, it's not really pumpkin season in the Southern Hemisphere. So how might we switch what we do and reframe the way that we think? Um, so that was a lot of fun. The other things that we did is we looked at, and this is a huge part of the open source project, it was about looking at the food waste items that could actually be salvaged, reused, reframed. And um, one of the examples that I can show you is um, our watermelon rind pickle. So our catering arm often uses watermelon as a watermelon cubes as a lovely, um, you know, hors d'oeuvre. And the watermelon rind was just going into waste. So this was a nice, easy, low-hanging fruit, really. Um, and the pun wasn't intended there with the fruit, sorry. Um, um, but basically, um, this is actually absolutely delicious on a cheese platter. And not only does it mean we're reusing the materials, but it means that we're actually not making an alternate product. So we're not using all the resources to make an alternate product. Um, and open source is also about actually looking at retail space. So once we identified that we could make these kinds of products, how might we actually find ways of retailing them? So one place is the purpose precinct I mentioned earlier, um, but also we've actually be, we've hired somebody to actually go out and start talking to a bunch of whole food um, retailers as well so we can actually put some of these collective products on the shelves. Now, the really interesting thing about the open source project is we learnt a heap. We learned a heap about what does work, what doesn't work, etc. Um, so, I guess we've already seen one thing that does work is that you can, you know, we actually have some proof of concept items, which is fantastic. Um, we also um, found that we, once we knew that there were suppliers or farmers that we could access, um, when they had a surplus of items, we could actually spring into action and make things from that. And a success story there was um, from a, an orchard in Tasmania where they had amazing organic apricots that were going to actually be thrown out. They just weren't perfect for, um, you know, for sale. Uh, so we used them and we made this amazing apricot jam. Fantastic. So that was the plus. But the minus was that often with this way of working, we need to make small batches. And when you make small batches, you're not going to get the same produce from the same supplier all the time. And customers started to get to know this apricot jam and it couldn't be substituted with a different kind of jam, a kind of apricot that comes from a different area. So that's one of the challenges that we've been looking at. How do you actually start to think about small batches and um, how do you um, start to think about how you can make 
pe- manage people's expectations so that people don't always expect this super premium product. So that's one of the things that we learned. We also learned that the that um, you know things work at the speed of trust, and it was really important to actually gain those social connections with people so we could actually work out how how things would work. How might we play the farmers as well if they've got a um, a produce that would otherwise be, you know, zero dollars to them. How do we work out fair ways of, of working on that as well? Um, so there are a whole heap of things like that that we needed to consider. Um, but it was, it's been a very, very worthwhile project. And um, we've only really just begun, I guess, in terms of what we might do. And um, at the end of this phase, we're actually looking at how might we actually bring other collaborators for purpose organisations working in the food system into what we're doing. So if you know anybody that might be interested in joining us, we're always interested in, in hearing from you. And um, there's some QR codes up here too. So if you're interested in, um, in learning more, please just feel free to have a, have a go at um, the QR codes. Um, but I wanted to just leave you now with um, a, a thought. So the questions that we were talking about that everybody was going to raise. M- my question is all about human behaviour. Because all of this sounds great. We've talked about the logistics. We've talked about understanding the mechanics behind all of these things. But actually, our system is so complex and it won't work unless we all are able to think about how we might change our behaviours. And, you know, it all starts with little tiny behaviours as well. Um, The food system is rife with you know, it's very, very difficult to navigate. And I think just going back to um, Ollie before with his, bravely with his um, single-use coffee cup, um, you know, it is really hard for people to actually do the right thing um, because our system isn't really designed that way. We've got soft plastics, you know, just impregnated throughout our, um, you know, system. It's really, really hard to actually think, well, what can I as as a person, one person do? But the thing is, if we work together, we actually are in a position where we can, with all of those little changes, we can agitate the system so that we actually can, we can vote with our money um, as a first starting point. We don't actually need to do more than maybe change providers, um, you know, if, if we're looking at organisations that are wasteful. Um, you know, if you think about your super or your energy, those sorts of things. But also, those little tiny behaviours that we might be able to do to, um, you know, encourage organisations to help us to make life easier for us to be able to do the right thing. Um, And if we all do that, then we can make some huge differences. And, you know, there are so many things that individuals can actually do. Um, A simple one is, you know, thinking about changing providers, you know, not using a dryer and putting things out on the line. That's an easy one as well, because, you know, we've got our renewable energy at work right there with the wind and the sun. Um, you know, there's heaps of things that we can do. Um, so, what I, the question I'd like to leave you with, and I've got something to pass around. Um, sorry about this. Oh, thank you. So, we've got some postcards and um, love to invite you to take a postcard each. And on the back, there's some ideas of little individual things that you might be able to do. Or you might have your own idea. And we'd love you to, if you, if you would like to do it, we'd love you to select something and um, maybe share it with somebody else as well. So, and it could be something that you individually do or it could be something that you in, your, in the organisation you work with or for or your family might be able to do as well. So we'd just like to leave you with that. Um, and when we break out for these 45-minute workshops, um, I'm going to be inviting everybody to start to think about how we at Street 
might be able to actually help help people, make life easier for people, encourage people to work together towards our September campaign, which is actually an event we ran in 2019. And um, we were actually able to, and this was in um, service of eliminating, reducing and eliminating single-use coffee cups. And we're bringing it back um, this year with a bit more strength than we have in the last couple of years now that the pandemic hopefully has settled down a bit. Um, and also looking at canisters for um, coffee beans. So we'd invite people to help us think of ideas that we might be able to add to the mix to our September campaign as well. So thank you. Thank you, Fiona. So much in that. Um, so as I mentioned, now we're going to get up and move around a bit and really dive into some of these many rich questions that have been asked between the three of three of our speakers. Um, uh, so I have them here. So we'll do this for about 45 minutes and then we'll come back and do a bit of a checkout for everybody. Um, as I said earlier, we're really interested in how we can kind of approach these ideas of circularity, regeneration, on a Monday morning, maybe like outside of our heads. How might we not try not to think too hard about this and actually just trying to get into some of the principles of the design through working together and through using our hands a little bit more? What does it actually look like to pay attention to a material? As um, I think Sam was really beautifully painting, like what can we learn from our ecologies and how we're designing things? So what might we actually really pay attention to in the materials we're using and start to bring out some of the ideas that way? So um, our beautiful hosts, Fiona, Sam and Ollie, are going to um, take us through these questions in about 45 minutes using the materials of this space. And we've got some fun prototypes as well over here, just to kind of just explore these questions together using our hands. So I've written them down because uh, it might be hard to remember what they were. So we had Ollie at the beginning, uh, which was what would this M Pavilion look and feel like if it was circular, regenerative and more than human? So if you want to dive into that, Come and follow Ollie over there. Um, then we had Sam. I've kind of, uh, I think I captured it. How can we reimagine our value creation models so that they increase the health and vitality of people and planet? So yes, thumbs up over there. <laughs> really thinking about the value that we're currently valuing and how might we value that differently. And then Fiona over here. So what interventions can we put in place as part of our circular initiatives at Street, including our September, love that, September campaign to help reduce disposable packaging. So if you want to get really practical with some interventions, come over here with Fiona. So about 45 minutes, go where your energy is. We're going to do some making, we're going to do some moving. Then we'll come back and wrap up all these big ideas. No, no, I was like, I could see you're on a roll. I was like, oh, how do I? <laughs> um, we're just going to do a quick wrap up and then save a little bit of time for you to keep weaving and because I know everyone hasn't had a chance to talk to everyone. Um, but just a thanks to Ollie as he has to run off. Thank you so much. Um, such rich, rich expertise. And um, I'm really going to be thinking about yeah, how we can help make scrubs more comfortable. Um, so... <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm not going to make every group do a report back, but I thought what we could do is a very technical facilitation term called a one-word wave. And we're kind of just going to make a bit of a Mexican wave as people uh, check out. So just like what's a word or a, a word that you're holding? 
could be cold, could be question, could be regeneration, whatever it might be. We're something you're holding and we're kind of just going to sweep across and get a sense of where people's minds and bodies are at uh, as a way to kind of capture what these different circles have been doing. So I'm going to need you to just shout them out so everyone can hear them. I'm sorry, you're starting. And then we're just going to flow across. So just, it's okay if you talk over the person next to you, it's going to flow. Temporal. Provoke. We've got a devil provoke. Wave. Accessibility. Connect. Inspiring. Lovely. Wave, wave, wave. Experiment. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. You weren't in the moon. <laughs> wave. Stormfallen. Ooh. Storytelling. Okay, we're going to wave. We're going to go double wave. Curiosity. Morale. Plurality. That's a hard word for me to say. <laughs> Culture. Community. Values. Subver ooh, subversion. Relationality. Connection. Moral capital. Behavior. Anchor. Okay. Over here. Wave. No, these aren't in the wave. Brainstorming. Motivated. Connected. Cooperation. Mugwall. Responsibility. Community. Ease. Okay, that was a nice way to end a wave. Ease. All right, so hopefully that captured a little bit. I heard temporal, relationality, connection, community. Very nice things. Um, oh, I've got a bit of music in the background still. Yeah, we'll get up and boogie soon. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I just really wanted to thank, um, obviously, Ollie, Sam, Fiona, and Sustainability Vic, who had did all the organising for this event. It was really nice to be able to hear the like more practical like let's get right in and think about our waste cycles with cups and then what sounds like a little bit more philosophical and designerly as we explore some like big systems around what it is we're doing um part of the discussions this morning were making me think of just like the word that's all right because i've got the mic i get a few more words so i'm going to end uh end with a few more words than just one um I was at a session the other day and Uncle Larry was talking about, you know, some of the innovations we're seeing with mycelium networks and fungi as a way to break things down, which is really exciting, but they break things down over time. And we don't necessarily have huge amounts of time at the moment. And it was a really inf interesting provocation to your word there of like, well, yes, we do have lots of innovations happening at the moment to be able to kind of like interrupt some of our systems. There are also some deeper questions around what are we putting into our systems anyway. So I think that was a really, you know, useful way that I think can weave together some of these ideas around, yes, we can have some innovations, but also what are some of the deeper questions that we need to ask at the same time as that. So thank you all for coming. Um, we do have lots of breakfast left. So if you're going back to the office, please pack a little um, kit and you'll be the, you know, the, the hero of the office to bring in some morning tea for everyone. Uh, we can't have any food waste here. So please definitely take some uh, with you. We've still got to think about five or 10 minutes just to make sure you've got time to check in with anyone that you haven't spoken to yet. Um, we'll be around for a bit if you want to come and have a chat. But thanks very much, everyone. You're listening to an Empavilion podcast conversations about design and the world we live in. 
people more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs>